0: First of all, welcome to Waterfront Church. Okay, you ready for this? If you got your Bibles, open to Acts 28 and Genesis 41. We'll continue our story of Joseph, Acts 28 and Genesis 41. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever gone through a really good stretch in life after a really awful stretch in life? Okay, have you ever gone through a really good stretch in life after a really awful stretch in life. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person, um, I get into what Autumn and I call, uh, we call it survival mode, and that's where everything that's going on is so intense and so crazy. Sometimes it's a period of suffering or a period of, again, where you're having to exhibit great faith because everything is so intense, and then all of a sudden, it subsides because it always subsides, okay? It always subsides in one way or another. And then I'm the type of person, I feel incredibly guilty, guilty afterwards because I'm like, I should be in more turmoil than this. Have you ever felt that way before? You've come out of a time of great turmoil and when it gets to a time of blessing, you go, I really feel like I should be freaking out about something right now. It's this idea of being addicted to chaos. Autumn and I usually say during that time of chaos, we say, serve the Lord and survive the day. We call it survival mode, serve the Lord and survive the day. But nobody is meant to live in that stage, meant to live in that, uh, uh, that uh, suffering turmoil uh, stretch forever. It will come to an end at some point in one way or another. You guys have gotten to hear stories uh, from my past this last uh, this last series, where again there was a stretch in my life where I had gone through a broken engagement. I was working three jobs at the same time, including Red Lobster, the finest restaurant in America. All right, um, I was navigating issues uh, with my dad, and the Lord was chiseling away and working on those, uh, uh, restoring those relationships. And then all of a sudden, one day it stopped all of a sudden the lord's blessing just began to shower on my life i met autumn and we got married um it was it just was amazing that thing that had been such a heavy burden for so long all of a sudden god had uh, god had given me the person i would spend the rest of my life with i went from three jobs to one job i was the youth minister my first full-time job as uh, i was the youth minister at first baptist church at the uh, at the uh, monterey baptist church in lubbock texas and then my dad and i were starting to become friends the lord was chiseling away at that wall uh, that we had built and uh, we started to become friends. And then just to add, uh, just to add to it, the big blessing also came because autumn and I found a good apartment together. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever lived in bad apartments before, when you find one that's good, it's like, I feel so blessed. You know, we found this apartment in Lubbock, Texas. We just gotten married. And we found this apartment that was a loft. It had a spiral staircase and so the whole apartment was a living room and kitchen on the first floor and then our bedroom and bathroom on the second floor had a spiral staircase on the side and a little teeny tiny fireplace uh, off in the corner. It was awesome and I'll never forget, all this stuff is coming together. We had so much chaos for so long and it was Christmas and we were wrapping Christmas lights around the spiral staircase on the way up, just wrapping it around the deal. Remember, at that point, I'm like, this is a little quiet, a little too quiet. I mean, it was like all of a sudden I felt guilty because everything had been in turmoil for so long. I'd been suffering for so long. And then there was just this moment of going, I just am so richly blessed. God is taking care of me. His his, his handprints, his fingerprints are all over my life in the way that he's taking care of me. And again, there was this weird feeling of like chaos addiction. Sometimes in ministry, Whenever you preach on blessing, there is always somebody who raises their hand or somebody who, in their mind, crosses their arms and goes, You're just a health and wealth preacher. You're just preaching, you do good things, and God does good things for you. Here, I want you to hear this God has called us to suffer at times, but not all the time. Do you hear me? God has called us to suffer at times, but not all the time. There are points where what God has called us to do as a disciple is to walk the path that's been laid out for us. Scriptures, are, again, the idea of being a disciple is, yes, Lord, now what's the question? Where sometimes he's called you to walk that path marked by suffering, but there are other times where in his rich mercies, he pours out an abundance of blessing upon us, and there is a right way to behave in that as well. To heap guilt on yourself because times are good is not godly, it's incredibly sinful, Just for the record, no better example of that in Scripture, I think, than two very, very overlooked verses at the very end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. If there was ever a person whose life could have been marked by suffering, it was the Apostle Paul, all right? Paul suffered for the faith the whole way through the book of Acts. He's tried to start churches. He's been run out of town. He's tried to stand up for people. They've thrown rocks at him, and at one point, they leave him for dead, thinking they've killed him, and all of a sudden, he hops up and continues to preach down the road. Man, he's gone through all sorts of difficulty. He's shipwrecked. He's bitten by snakes at one point. I mean, there's all sorts of awful suffering that has happened for Paul but look at the last two verses in the book of Acts. Here's what it says. For two whole years, Paul stayed there, talking about in Rome, in his own rented house, underlined in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. Verse 31 will blow your mind here. Boldly without hindrance, underline boldly without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there for just a minute. This man whose entire life had been marked by suffering at one point or another had two years of God's blessing showered upon him to where he could rent his own house even in the midst of the impending trial that was ahead of him, even in the midst of all the turmoil and the violent death that Paul would die, for two years, he got to rest in God's blessing. For two years, it says he came and went as he pleased. He could welcome people who came into his house, and I love the picture there in the last verse, and preach the gospel without hindrance. There are times when following Christ is going to be a hurricane west wind in your face. It's walking the road Mark was suffering because he laid it out for you. But there are also going to be times when you are richly blessed. And in those moments... We need to enjoy that and enjoy it the right way. And we're going to talk about how to do that today. If you're taking notes, write this down. There are times we are called to suffer for the name of Jesus and times we will receive showers of precious blessing. There are times we are called to suffer for the name of Jesus and there are times we will receive showers of precious blessing. You cannot become addicted to the showers of blessing. We do this out of our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we realize there are times the road is marked by suffering, and there are times where the Lord gives us his richest blessings. In the end, the road of a disciple is both the highs and the lows. That's why I got to do a wedding this uh, this uh, last week on, uh, uh, on Valentine's Day. It was pretty special. Got to do a wedding for Devaney and Rashad. Um, and Devaney is extra special to our family because she was one of the original urban sitters that we hired uh, to help us with child care here at the church. One of the very original ones when the church was, was just weeks old. Devaney came and served and after two years, she came back and she said, hey, I would like to attend the church. Is that okay? That was actually one of our secret, uh, our hopes, is that uh, we could draw in some people to do that. So she came, joined the church, starts dating Rashad, they fall in love, and then all of a sudden, we got to do their wedding. So at each wedding I do, we always do the traditional vows. Even if the couples have written their own vows, we always go through this traditional set of vows because it's important to remember. Do You take this person for better or for worse. For richer or for poorer in sickness and in health and then to love and to cherish till death do we part. It's all the highs and the lows. It's the picture of marriage. Marriage is at one time better and at other times it's worse. Marriage is again, you're richer at some points and you are definitely poorer at some points. There are times when you love and cherish and there are times where you get separated by death. But listen, the constant in all of marriage is that you took those vows before God Almighty, before each other, and those witnesses present, that you would cling to one another and to Christ in all things, and it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you have taken the vows that you are going to be together. Now listen to me. The same is the call of a disciple, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we finally get to see our true love face to face in glory. A disciple's journey is to walk the path, not to seek blessing and not to covet suffering, which is a weird thing that Christians do nowadays. You don't covet the time of suffering, you walk the path that's been marked out for you. So it begs our big million dollar question today What is God's will for us in times of blessing? What is God's will for us when it all just seems to be flowing the right way? Ryan Butler, I feel like you get a different award every time I see you. Times are good. Now, just for the record, if you're in a time of great blessing today, this lesson is for you. It's going to help you walk the path and do it in a godly manner. And then there are several of you who said, uh, that is not me right now. I'm the one who's emailed you, Pastor, and said, your talk on patience, your talk on suffering, that stuff has really, really spoken to me. If that's you, take notes, because listen, you will not suffer forever. It's not going to be something that holds on. Joy comes in the morning, Scripture says. Something will happen. Something will change. And so if you are the one walking the path of darkness right now, take notes because you're going to want to know how to live when things are uh, turning around and you're showered with blessing. Look at what happens now. Look at Genesis 41, verses 47 through 49. And last disclaimer, if there are any of you here going, you're preaching health and wealth, go back and listen to the first nine weeks of the study. We beat Joseph like a drum for nine weeks. You can have two blessings. Are you ready? Look at what happens. Genesis 41, verse 47 through 49. Here's what it says. It says, During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance, underline Joseph collected, and stored in the cities. It says, in each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Stop right there for just a minute. I didn't fully understand this until I read the work of one of the commentators. When you read through the passage the first time, as somebody who doesn't understand all the different historical things taking place, this is so interesting. One of the commentators wrote, when you read it the first time, you think. Oh, Joseph has just told Pharaoh, let me interpret your dream. You need to save up food for winter because tough days are coming. What Joseph has done there is more than just say, store up food for winter. Store up in the good times for the bad times are coming. This is interesting. The reason that all the public officials look at him and look at Pharaoh and go, this was special. Something interesting just happened here is that Joseph thousands of years ago has laid out how to avoid a global depression. Joseph has not just pitched, let's save up the grain while the prices are low, while grain is abundant, let's save all the grain. What Joseph has done here has pitched to Pharaoh that they start buying up grain from all the surrounding countries while the price is low so that they can control the global market moving forward when the market takes a turn. What's just happened in this moment is he has outlined modern day global economics. And they sit there and they go, that's brilliant. If we know when the famine is coming, we can control the market so that it doesn't create a depression in the countries around us. And listen, it creates global peace. Because when countries get desperate, they go and they attack the countries that have the grain so that they can fight against them. What Joseph has just pitched here causes Pharaoh to scratch his head and he goes, we can control the market and then they wouldn't try to invade our country. We could sell the grain at a fair price, control the market and avoid depression and we could get filthy stinking rich in the process. What Joseph has just pitched is something very powerful, but listen, it's gonna require hard work. He's been blessed. He's no longer in prison. He's able to live free. But if you're taking notes, write this down. What is God's will for us in times of blessing? Number one, work hard every day. Work hard every day. You could call Joseph the first chairman of the Fed right here in this passage. Isn't that interesting? He comes up with a global economic policy to control the market, to keep the world out of depression, and then it also keeps the world off the brink of disaster with war. How does he do that? by working hard every day. There are some of you in this room, and if you're really being honest, your goal in life, your feeling that God has blessed you, comes straight from the movie Office Space. Did you see the movie Office Space back in the day? Great movie. Cult classic. In the movie Office Space, what does the main character want to do more than anything? Nothing. His goal is that one day he would be able to do absolutely nothing. In fact, that is the modern day American goal. They ask him at one scene in the movie, they say, uh, "What?" They say the question used to be asked in the 60s and 70s, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And he said, the answer that you give is whatever, if you had, money was not a problem, what you would want to spend your days working and doing. But what does the main character in the movie say? Nothing. I just wanna sit around all day, I just wanna not work, I just wanna sleep in and live off the interest on that money and vacation and do whatever I want to do. Can I just tell you, if that is your dream, it is not biblical. If your dream is to do nothing and you feel like that's the way that God has blessed you, that you finally could get to a point where you can do nothing, where there's no responsibility, there's no obligation, guess what? That blessing is never coming because all you're gonna do is get yourself into trouble. All you're going to do is cause problems for yourself and for other people around you if you ain't doing nothing. There's an old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop, or idle hands are the devil's playground. i got to confess something to you this week. As I was writing my message, I stopped and I went, ooh, I need to find out where that is in Scripture. It's not there idle hands of the devil's workshop was a famous protestant saying built on the protestant work ethic and it comes straight to us from proverbs chapter 16 verses 27 through 29 the concept boils down to idle hands of the idle hands of the devil's workshop but but the proverbs 16 verses 27 through 29 actually gives us the way that this uh, this comes to be look at what it says Proverbs 16, 27. It says a scoundrel plots evil. Underline plots evil. And his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension. And a gossip separates close friends. Underline perverse man and gossip. And a violent man... Entices his neighbor Underline a violent man Entices his neighbor And leads him down a path That is not good Stop right there for just a minute What we find in this passage Is when blessing has created A lull in our schedule To where we have free time If we don't focus on the goal That God has given us To live for him To be about his kingdom And about his namesake When we have that idle time It starts to breed a mind That plots evil That plots wickedness And from the mind that plots evil, it then erupts into speech like a scorching fire. We begin to talk it through and say things out loud that really never should be said. It then erupts, verse 28, into someone becoming perverse. The idea is that from the inside in your heart, you begin to pursue things that you know are wicked, that are perverse. And then the gossip separates close friends. That perversion spills out into our speech to where we are no longer just talking out loud about our evil schemes, but enacting them to divide the world around us. It's gone from our heart to spread to those around us. And then verse 29, it erupts in violence against a neighbor, and we lead them down a path that is not good. Some of you might say, wow, Zach, that's pretty dark. You take idle time, and it goes from plotting evil thoughts to all of a sudden violently harming people around us, it could happen to even the godliest of people No better example of that in scripture than 2 Samuel when we look at the life of David. David referred to as the man after God's own heart and exactly what happens in Proverbs 16 is exactly what happens to him. It says in a time when kings go off to war that David made the decision he was gonna stay home. The attitude there being, oh, I've been through a time of great turmoil. I've been through a time of great suffering. I just wanna kick back, relax, enjoy the fruits of my kingdom, enjoy the great things that my hard work and God's blessing have produced and I'm just gonna wait here and let his blessing shower upon me. But what happens while he should be working, while he should be pursuing something for the kingdom of God, about God's business. Instead, all of a sudden his brain begins to plot evil. All of a sudden in perversity, he sees Bathsheba showering on a rooftop, bathing on a rooftop, And when he sees Bathsheba below, he lusts about her perversely in his heart to the point that he sets up a meeting with her, brings her together, brings her into the circle of perversion. And then what happens? He eventually turns into a violent man. He has to have her as his wife. So he sends her husband out to the front line, violently has him killed. Listen to me. How do you end up in that circumstance of violence? It starts a lot of times with idle time knowing that God has blessed you to where you have some margin in your life, and instead of filling it with the things of God, doing what you know you need to do, instead we just let the tentacles of the enemy sneak in and seep in. If you're taking notes, write this down. It is not God's will that you do nothing. Let me say it again. It is not God's will that you do nothing. When it's his will that you do nothing, he will take your life, all right? He will take breath from your lungs and your time on this earth will be complete. You are here to work every day. You are here to serve every day. This is usually a point when people will say, well, Zach, are you preaching against retirement? No, retirement can be, I mean, a box that you check on your taxes, okay? But retirement doesn't actually exist for the disciple. You realize that, don't you? Retirement does not exist for the disciple. You feeling like one day I'm going to have enough in that 401K? One day I'm going to have enough so that I don't, do, I don't have to do anything? Tell me in Scripture where that exists, and I'll go with you on it. It doesn't exist. We will do the work. Jesus says right now it is day, and because it is day, we will work, because night is coming when no one can work. While you can work, absolutely do it. Be about the Father's business. Is that a good word, Arvia? Now listen, it also taking notes, write this down: Is it your ultimate goal to live without responsibility or obligation? Is it your ultimate goal to live without responsibility or obligation? If that is your goal, you have a very ungodly goal, and you will eventually become someone who is not trustworthy. If your goal is no responsibility, no obligations, no strings attached, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, don't tie yourself up needlessly. But if no obligation, if ultimate freedom is your goal, you cannot be trusted and you will hurt people. Many times the people that you don't intend to hurt. Now flip back over to Genesis 41 and let's read verses 50 through 52. And I need to confess to you, these verses really hit me hard this week, okay? You ready for this? Time of great blessing. Look at verse 50. Before the years of famine came... Two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharia, the priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Stop right there for just a minute. I want you to notice something. He's about the hard work. He's about storing away for the winter. He's about enacting a new economic policy. Does that not sound like D.C.? you got hard work ahead of you. You've got earth changing. You're stopping a global depression that's on the horizon. But notice this smack dab in the middle of this time of blessing is God gives him two sons and a wife and a father-in-law. He gives him a family. This is the guy who'd been in prison for more than 10 years. And God blesses him with a new family. Don't miss this. What is God's will for us in times of blessing? Number one, work hard every day. And number two, enjoy your family. Enjoy your family. All the stuff going on around you, this job that you're doing is incredibly important. But you don't need to feel guilty when you give time to your family when you give time to mama, when you call home to check and see how she's doing, when you give time to your son or your daughter or give time to your spouse or time to that best friend from high school that's like family to you, even though it takes a little extra time to reach out. It's God's will when we're blessed that we offer that margin to the people we care about the most. It's the reason Perry the Platypus is up here today. So, (laughs) I feel like he's the size of like the real Perry, you know? (laughs) So, you all have heard my stories these last few weeks, but I want to put a couple of them together. I told you last week about God starting the process of reconciliation with my father. In the hospital, we talked about Whataburger and a compliment, and then we talked about how in the hospital, he broke down, said he was a terrible father, I said, no, you're the best father. And then he made the statement, I haven't been there for you, but I will be. And then he said, I will be there for Lulu. Lulu's my oldest daughter. I told you a story a few weeks ago about how dad asked if we would stay an extra six months at the church in Texas so that he and I could make the handoff there. And we had those six months where we worked alongside each other together. The piece that's in between has to do with Perry the Platypus. So my dad had made the claim that he would be around. When he got the job in Texas, we had that six months together, and my dad's an early riser. Dad also had had a skin cancer spot on his head, and he used to wear a Baylor pullover. He did chapel for the Baylor Bears, for whoever's out there from Baylor, sick them, all right? He wore this Baylor pullover and a black John Wayne cowboy hat that he would wear everywhere he went. He never wore a cowboy hat when I was younger, but those last two years after the skin cancer spot, he wore that cowboy hat. And at 6.30 in the morning, work opened at 8. At 6.30 in the morning, our doorbell rang once a week for six months. And it was dad in his cowboy hat, not with my mom, because my mom was a late sleeper. I see you, mom, all right? Okay, he was a late sleeper. And dad would come by himself to the house, and he would ring the doorbell, and Autumn would go, your dad's here again at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> and dad would walk in. And he would just sit down on the couch and be with us. And one of the things he would do is we had this Perry the platypus. And what he would do, Jody, I'm going to throw this at you, all right? Dad would look at Lulu, who, by the way, was a zero percentile, tiny, zero percentile. And so she's four years old, but she's so little. And Dad would look at her. She's about, I mean, she might have been smaller than Perry at this point. And Dad would look at her and go, Perry, attack! And he would throw Perry the platypus. And because Lulu was so small, here, toss it back to me. Because Lulu was so small, it usually, like a bowling pin, knock her legs out from underneath her. She'd fall on the ground and just, just laugh, laugh, laugh so loud the whole time. Well, we'd go, Dad, stop hurting our child. What are you doing? And at that point, Dad would lean back and he'd look at me and he'd go, Perry, attack. And then he'd throw Perry back at me too. Now, here's the deal. Once a week for six months. He enjoyed his family. And you know what? We stayed and we enjoyed our family. Now there are some of you in this room who you have a very unhealthy view of discipleship and what you heard when I just said that was, that's it, I gotta quit my job and move home. I gotta go sit there, I'm gonna walk in the door and be like, mama, I missed you, I just wanna spend time with you. I don't want to miss a minute, and I'm just going to stare at you, all right? (laughs) If that's what you heard, you missed it. Remember the first three verses. Joseph is hard at work. God is using him to instill a new economic policy that's going to change the globe. It's going to change global economics. It's one that we still utilize to this day. Now look at me. But in the margin, enjoy your family. Call mama. Text that best friend from high school. And then I want to challenge you with something. Someone that you love deeply but haven't talked to in a long time, I want to encourage you, find a block in your schedule, and usually it's early in the morning or it's late in the evening. Find a time where for someone specific that you love but have not connected with in a long time, that you give them an unhindered trump card an unended or an open-ended discussion where they can talk as much as they want you do this with mama and here's what happens the first 30 minutes of that conversation is typically not necessarily genuine because you know what mama wants in that first 30 minutes she just wants you to stay on the line She just wants to keep talking. That best friend that's so proud of who you've become moving out here to D.C., that best friend that's so proud that you were able to stay when everybody else has been run out of the city, you were able to stick around. All they want in that first 30 minutes is just to stay connected to you. It's the last hour of that discussion that's real and genuine when they begin to share a bit of their heart and it will encourage you the same way it's encouraging them. You can't do that for everybody. But we certainly should be able to do it for the people we love. There's a lot of people who would have loved having that hour and a half with my dad. He carved it out for us. You know what a lot of us do with that hour and a half? We waste it. We have those moments, but we waste it. I joked in the last service and they called me on it. But I said, man, you're wasting that time at Orange Theory. And they were like, it's easy for a fat guy to criticize Orange Theory, all right? Now listen. I'm just telling you that to say. (laughs) Have some balance in your life and don't feel guilty about giving time to your family. Joseph in this, I'm telling you, there is no real reason for that to be here other than to let us know in the time of great blessing, in the time of new policy that will affect the globe, he still had time to father his sons. And I love the names he gives them. He says, man, Manasseh, When I look at you, I remember God's blessing, what he brought me through. Man, Ephraim, when I look at you, I remember the blessing he continuously pours upon me. Look at what he's done through the names of his son. He's crafting a spiritual heritage into them so they can know Yahweh the same way that he does. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you have margin, strongly consider giving it to your family. Say that again. When you have margin, strongly consider giving it to your family it's at this point when you usually get thrown out at you luke chapter 18 verse 28 so i want to read it to you as well luke 18 verse 28 through 30 get taken out of context i want to read them to you the right way today this is a conversation between jesus and peter peter says to jesus we have left everything that we have to follow you look at Jesus' response jesus says i tell you the truth No one who has left home or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Stop right there for just a minute. A lot of times this passage is preached when ministers are talking about going, see, if you choose the Lord over your family continuously, then there's a blessing waiting for you in heaven. That's taken out of context. Jesus doesn't say you need to give your family the shaft nine times out of nine. What he's saying here is, when you have one of those one, two, three, four, maybe five moments in the history of your relationship with these people, when you have to choose the Lord over a situation with the family, that those five situations are not discounted in the kingdom of God. It's not ditch the family, ditch fatherhood, ditch being a good spouse, ditch being a good son or daughter so that you can follow Jesus Christ. There's a way to do both. Even the story of Abraham and Isaac, Abraham was called to live with Yahweh as his ultimate, every single day but one time he has to lay Isaac on the altar. One time he has to live out Luke chapter 18 and even in that circumstance what does God do? He provides a way. He provides the ram so that, so that Abraham can be a good father and a good Yahweh follower at the same time. Even in that moment when he has to make the decision God still provides. The problem is some read that verse verse eight or chapter 18 of Luke and you go see justifies me abandoning my responsibilities and obligations. If that's how you read it, you read it wrong. He's saying when you do have to choose with that Isaac on the altar moment, know that the Lord knows that moment is hard. Enjoy your family when you have margin. It begs the question, should you take some time to be with your family? Should you take some time to be with your family? For some of you it's face to face, for some of you it's a text message, it's an email. For some of you, it's just a phone call that's open-ended. Should you take time to be with your family, it's a very godly thing to do so when God has blessed you with that time. Let's keep moving. Now look at Genesis 41, and we'll look at the last verses. Verse, 52, or verse 53. It says, The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. Now there, there was famine in all the other lands, But in the whole of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine. And by the way, you could add that sold grain for a fair price to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And not just there, but look at 57. And all the other countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe, what? In all of the world. Notice this. There are some of you in this room who've come up over the period of the first five and a half years of our church, and you've posed this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? The study of Joseph is a powerful answer to that question. What God has crafted in Joseph, why in the world would somebody who God gives this vision that he's going to be someone great at some point, why would he have to go through such turmoil and such difficulty? Because God was creating him to be the leader that he is in Genesis 41. He's allowing him to go through this time of difficulty to chisel into him that powerful humility to also create in him a heart for the lost, a heart for the broken so that he can help them as well. If you're taking notes, write this down. What is God's will for us in times of trouble? Number one, work hard every day. Number two, enjoy your family. And number three, offer hope to those in need. Joseph was not just blessed so he could be blessed. Joseph was not just blessed so that he could bless Pharaoh. Joseph was not just blessed so he could bless Egypt. Joseph was blessed that he might bless the whole stinking world. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? So they can become Joseph in some cases. That's a really complicated question, and this is one of the answers to it. Joseph doesn't become Joseph if he doesn't go through what he went through. Sometimes our goal is to be Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales. you seen Scrooge McDuck? Where does Scrooge McDuck live? In the money bin, right? He's got that big old money bin. And that money bin is symbolic of his blessing. And what does he do? He hoards every penny, every dime, every whatever he's ever achieved, and he sits on it. And then uh, sometimes he swims in it, right? And he swims in that blessing. And he swims through in that blessing. There are some of you that that's the picture you have in your head of what a blessed life really is. Your Scrooge McDuck money bin that you can sit on, that you can hold on to, and if a dime is missing, Scrooge McDuck knows it. If that is your attitude, you miss the point of blessing. Write this down. We are blessed to be a blessing. Why does God bless us? He blesses us that we might bless others. Now, saying, oh, are you saying it's a bad thing to save? No, it's a very godly thing to save. See the first part of this story. But if you are saving just so you can sit in your money bin and swim around in your blessing, then you miss it. Scrooge is a cartoon character. He doesn't ever grow old. In the real world, Scrooge McDuck is dead and the government takes 40% of that money bin. <laughs> you realize that? His nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie ain't swimming in the money bin. It's too shallow after Uncle Sam takes his cut, all right? Or Uncle, out of, Uncle Mallard. I mean, whatever it is, the duck, the duck Uncle Sam is. Anyway, I'm just saying, okay. In the end, it goes somewhere else. Why not share? Why not be the person that, if God has blessed you, listen, in finances and time and energy, why not be the one who, when you're living in the stretch of blessing, Why not be the one who offers it to others? It begs our final question. Is it time that you shared? Is it time that you shared? I appreciate you guys listening. If we come to the point where we serve the Lord in the good times as closely as we do in the times of suffering, it has been my experience that the times of blessing increase because you become a conduit for God's goodness. He passes things through you. All good things come from God, but he places it in pockets and then we distribute it so that we can be his hands and feet to the world. What if you made the decision that you were going to be that conduit, that you were going to be a beacon of hope, a port of hope in the midst of the hurricane of other people's lives? When we do that, we'd be able to, we're able to see the fingerprints of God all around us. I appreciate you guys listening. This sermon convicted me writing it this week. And in our first service, it was crazy. Probably two thirds of the room said, I need to call mama. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of us. We get caught up in putting our family on the back burner. I pray that if that's you today, that you would receive the call. Let's bow our heads. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. It's just a chance for us to stop and to process the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to get back to work. It may be literal work, and it may just be being about the things of the Father, that you would be about your Father's business with nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've had this goal of doing nothing and I need to have my goal be that I work hard hard every day for the name Jesus Christ that I would be about my father's business. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. That's powerful. I'm gonna pray for you But if that's you, just pray that simple prayer. Lord, I desire to be about my father's business. Lord, I desire to be about my father's business. I don't want to end up the perverse, violent man. I don't want to end up the perverse, violent woman. I want to belong to you. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, when you talked about using that margin to enjoy time with family, maybe you were like me and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart today, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to offer that margin to my family first. With nobody looking around but just me, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you pack up and go home. It means that when you have those moments, you allot them the right way. With nobody looking around but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. In those moments of margin, I need to choose my family. If that's you, If you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is just this. God, before I walk out the doors today, help me to come up with a plan so that I can offer margin to my mom, my dad, my best friend, my brother, my sister, that person who's like family to me. Make that commitment before you even walk out the door today. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been a little bit of Scrooge McDuck in my life. I've been trying to sit on top of my blessing, and the truth is, it's time I shared the wealth. It's time I shared my finances. It's time I shared my time. It's time I shared my energy. It's time I shared my expertise, the things that I've walked through with someone going through a time of suffering and difficulty. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you for that. Thank you for your honesty. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you, but again, your prayer is just simply this. Lord, help me to share. Lord, help me to share. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you so much for the time that we've gotten to spend studying your word. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would follow the example of Joseph today. Lord, for those who need to work hard, stir a fire in their gut to work hard. For those who need to reach out to family and offer that margin to them, stir a fire in their gut to reach out to family. For Lord, for those who need to offer hope to those in need, I pray that you would help them to leave behind that money bin dream and Lord, that they would receive your truth that we are blessed that we might bless others. Stir a fire in our souls, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.